0: G'day, humans! Welcome to the show that goes where others don't. The show that rejects partisan squabbling and tribal groupthink. I'm Josh Zepps. I'm your humble warrior princess, hunting down the world's most fascinating minds to wrestle with one provocative question each week. Much of modern culture and politics and media is tailor-made, especially social media, tailor-made to panda. To what we already believe, and distort what we don't, to reinforce our biases and exaggerate our differences. But change doesn't happen in an echo chamber. It's time to leave the mental comfort zone, to flex our minds and step on some landmines, folks. It's time to have uncomfortable conversations. Today on the show, an almost perfect guest on an almost perfect topic at an almost perfect time for our first episode. And I only say almost perfect because nothing's entirely perfect on this fallen orb, young lads and lassies. We're all a bit grubby, ain't we? And that's sort of the purpose of this show, to point that out, to have a little bit of intellectual humility and to avoid the kind of purity tests and the self-certainty that has become so commonplace in our conversations with each other. I want to wrestle towards something better. I want to have a time out from having to choose between two poles in culture with right-wing blowhards on one side, and on the other side, a ragtag bunch of cancel culture outrage peddlers. I want neither of them. I want to reach across the aisle and share a cigarette in no man's land on Christmas Day. Uh, or not a cigarette, that's probably politically incorrect as well. Can we share something else? Can we share a, uh, how about a vegan bowl? A vegan quinoa bowl? Vegan uh, quinoa kombucha bowl? Did they have those at Passchendaele? Did they have those at the Somme? I digress. Look, the point is that on almost every hot button issue these days, I do feel we are expected to choose between one of two sets of predefined opinions. And a huge amount of the conversation that goes on in the media, not just social media, but conventional media and politics too, sounds like people reciting scripts, essentially, of what they know they're supposed to say. It's amazing to me that if I know, for example, what you think about climate change, let's say I find out that you're a climate denier, then I can tell you with some certainty what you probably believe about corporate tax rates and the monarchy and police brutality and whether we should teach Shakespeare in schools and whether we should prescribe hormone blockers to transgender teenagers. I mean, how is that possible? What kind of intellectual conformism are we allowing ourselves to be subjugated to? if I know all of the things you believe about these completely disparate, different, unrelated topics, simply because you exist within one silo. This is the show that bursts the silos. This is the show that exists to have bullshit-free conversations and breathe a breath of fresh air into all the things that are going on in the world that seem intractable and that seem difficult to discuss. In coming weeks, we'll be talking about all kinds of things from economic fairness to ethnic diversity to the coronavirus to the lockdown to social media to the news to the Me Too movement to the war on drugs to sexuality to indigenous, lots. But let's kick things off with an easy subject, an uncontroversial subject, a subject that couldn't possibly get me into any trouble. Let's talk about race. Since late May, when the video went viral, that horrifying video, of a black man george floyd being killed by a cop kneeling on his neck protests have swept the world a reevaluation a reexamination of our relationship towards white privilege and towards depictions of people of color in the media has taken place episodes of faulty towers have been pulled episodes of 30 rock have been pulled we're at a moment in which we're thinking things through, but we're not thinking things through very carefully, I don't think. There's an expectation that you will have one of two points of view. On the one side, you're allowed to say that we live in an irredeemably white supremacist society that sees no problem in crushing the life out of black and indigenous bodies, and so it's time for white people to shut up so that we can cancel everyone who isn't quite up to speed with the program. And on the other side... There are people who loudly proclaim that racism is not a big problem in society, that the whole thing is a bit of a storm in a teacup, and that the real reason why police kill and imprison more people of colour is because they interact with more people of colour because people of colour commit more crimes. So the status quo is basically fine, and protesters should get over it. What a horrible pair of propositions to have to choose between. So I say don't. Stan Grant is arguably the world's most influential indigenous Australian. He was a familiar face all over the world as a senior international correspondent for CNN for many years. If you were ever in the habit of travelling abroad and you'd turn on a hotel TV, you'd always see his face in Abu Dhabi or Hong Kong or Beijing. He won Australia's big television award, a Logie, back in the 90s for his current affairs program, Real Life, and he helped launch Australia's national indigenous television channel. He recently made a hit film about the racist demonisation of an Indigenous football superstar. It was called The Australian Dream, and it won an Australian Academy of Cinema and Television Arts Award. In fact, he's got such cred in Australia that last year the Prime Minister asked him to run for Parliament, but Stan turned him down. He's now a commentator on Indigenous and world affairs, and the perfect mind to guide us through the thicket of uncertainties and ambiguities and contradictions that lie in the no-man's land, that lie in the grey zone, that lie between the two obvious partisan storylines about race, colonisation, police brutality, and black lives matter. My uncomfortable question today is simple. Am I racist? We started off chatting about a new book Stan's writing, so let's just pick up the conversation right there. Follow this show on Twitter at UncomfyConvos. That's uncomfy with a Y, convos. Give us a rating and a review right now so the iTunes algorithm knows to promote us and enjoy this uncomfortable conversation with Stan Grant. Yes. and Start writing. Yes. Your yes. Dishes don't need to be cleaned right now. Yes. Sit your ass down in the yes. chair. Yes. And yes. Keep on writing. <laughs> it's and, a beautiful and, book. And
1: when you come to a ro- to a roadblock, you got to write your way through the roadblock. Yeah. You yeah. can't think your way through it. That's you've got to right. Sit yeah, down. Yeah. You got keep to going, keep going. You got to keep keep going. And
0: it doesn't matter if you don't write anything, as long as you do your four hours or two hours or whatever you yeah, say, yeah, Sit in yeah. the chair. Yeah. You can sit
1: there. And, and some some. I mean, I I am I'm, I'm pretty good. And journalism gives you a discipline, and a focus. Um, I can I can very comfortably. Um, put down two thousand words in a in a morning that I they would, I would be happy to have published. So they're, wow. they're written and edited. But some days I can I can get six seven thousand um down when you, in a in a when mm. you hit a vein, I can um, do that.
0: But they're all awful. Yeah, like I like the adage that all re, all writing is actually rewriting. Yes, don't worry is. about making the first draft no, any no, good. No, the, no, as no, long as no. you just get something down on the page, and then yes. you can make it good later. Yes,
1: you you can. You yeah. but you have got to get it down and catch the thoughts. The other thing about writing too is that when follow follow your your instinct because you know there are times you sit down and you go, oh look, I want to say this, and you're moving in a certain direction, um, but then you reach a point where you know it you need to take a left turn. And even though the left turn may lead you down a whole lot of rabbit holes, but if you don't do it, if it feels right, go there. Mm. If you, if you try to stay on your path, if you think no, I've got to finish this. If you th- see it as a linear process, it's not going to work. Yeah, You've got to go when the moment hits. Like I was, I was writing yesterday. I was outside Bin Laden's house after he was killed. Not
0: yesterday. This is yes. in the past. Yeah. yeah.
1: After he was killed. So I'm there wow. right next day. And, um, in Abbottabad, so I'm there. I'm outside Bin Laden's house, and and there's this great story I wanted to tell um, about it about a, an encounter that I had outside his house with a Pakistani guy. Great story. And I'm trying to get to that story, and I hit this point where. Bin Laden's there. He's been killed the night before, and I get this point where the last, you know, the middle last images of him, and he's he's wrapped in a bloody blanket, and he's sort of huddled around a video recorder, and he looks old, and he looks sick, and it's not the
0: you know the Jesus figure with the Kalashnikov mm. that we all grew so mm. used to. They always end up that way. Saddam Hussein in a little yeah, bunker, pathetic. you know, they end up pathetic. Yeah,
1: yeah. and uh, and 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 Hitler in the bunker—they're all pathetic in the end because they're the Wizard of Oz. They're the little man behind a big you mm. know, big microphone. But he, Donald um, Trump. <clears throat> yeah. So I'm at that point, and I wanted to get to this story, and I thought, fuck, I can't do it now. Now I've opened this door, I've got to go. And the next line that I fell onto the page that just demanded to be written was that he was a man whose own movement had moved past him. Mm. And, and I had to go. I had to go at that point to one of his disciples, Abu Musab al-Zakawi, mm. who had gone from Afghanistan back to Iraq and in the fall of Saddam, had started Al Qaeda in Iraq, which was Al Qaeda 2.0, and it was a much more brutal iteration. It was and it became ISIS. Essentially, it became ISIS. It was the bridge from Al Qaeda to ISIS, where Bin Laden thought we can't. All of this, starting with the Muslim Brotherhood, was moving towards the Caliphate and restoring the Caliphate. But the caliphate was in the future, and Bin Laden thought, "No, we have to work our way to that. Hit the far enemy, the U.S. Bring them in here. When they're in here, we can grind them into the dirt. We can hit the near enemy, the the, the Islam apostates, and then we can get to the caliphate." And Zakawi comes in and goes, "No, the caliphate is now." And he says, to, and Bin Laden says, "Stop, stop slaughtering Muslims." And Zakawi is, "No, I'm going to slaughter as many Shia as I can. Mm, then I want a, Muslims anyway. I want a sectarian war exactly." I want a sectarian war, and out of a sectarian war, we will build the new caliphate. Um, and and so I had to go to Zakawi, and I didn't want to because I had this great story to tell. <laughs> but once I went to Zakawi, I then had to explain all of this. I had to explain where we get to ISIS. And when I'd done that, I came back to Abadabad, and mm. it worked.
0: Well, that, I'm glad it works because your brain sounds a bit like my brain in that it, you open a little tiny, yes. you open a kind of surprise, <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden <laughs> the universe implodes on I itself, know. and like and the I spacetime know. continuum fractures, and you go falling down a rabbit hole. Yes. And then all of a sudden there's so much stuff. But so see, much when stuff. I get to that point, the reason why I'm a bad writer or a good writer when I manage to do it, but a bad writer in terms of being able to do it, is that when I actually when I get there, I'm so confronted by the vast yes. enormity of everything I want to say, yes. that I seize up. But it seems like you can I find just, a way to. Touch. I, I Because yeah. I've got
1: a thread And the thread throughout the entire book And the thread that connected this Was the thread of identity It was all identity All of this is identity Islamism is identity All of this, you know um, And so, and interestingly Where it led me when I went down that rabbit hole When I went to Zakawi Because China is the beginning of my book And it's the thread that runs through the book It led me back to China Because Zakawi's manual, his strategy for warfare, was a book written by a guy called Abu Bakanaji uh, in 2004 called The Management of Savagery. The Management of Savagery was you create a place of savagery and out of savagery you create order. Mm. And, uh, and who wrote the playbook? Mao Zedong. Mm. So the, the playbook of Zakawi... Came from the same playbook of Mao of how to fight an asymmetrical warfare.
0: I mean, it's also an ancient well, revolutionary it the, idea. An ancient it? revolution. Like burn it all down, Assyrians, raise it to the ground. The Assyrians. Yeah, sure. And Pol Pot came uh, yes, up with it again yes. <laughs> in the 70s. I mean. And
1: But I was able to go directly back to Mao. And I thought, fuck, I've. I've squared the circle.
0: Well, while we're talking about revolutionary anyway. fervour, since l- let's just make this the whole beginning of the podcast. That's fine. I don't need to do a formal introduction. <laughs> I'll just bring it in at some point um, because I think this is an interesting way into, you know, we wanted to talk about race, about white supremacy, yeah, that's about, good. Uh, about Indigenous rights. And but since it all you're, fits all part yeah, of since the you're, Exactly. Since your new book is essentially uh, going to be about, we were just talking about the, the book that stands uh, trying to finish, uh, uh, about the ways in which... Uh, I suppose extremists fracture off the liberal order mm. into spirals of their own uh, craziness. Uh, how do you relate that back to the moment that we find ourselves in?
1: You know, there's I I, I like to have a, a philosophical framework to do anything. You know, without a philosophical framework, I think you're just you're making it up. You know, and and there's no there's no coherence. The problem with with philosophy, of course, is that it's ultimately a bloodless exercise. It reduces everything to an intellectual exercise, and sometimes tries to impose um, some sort of ideological order or, or uh, over over events. Um, and events are not easily contained, and human beings are entirely, you know, unpredictable. But essentially, what ideology does is that ideology takes contradiction and turns it into difference. I think that's a very Hegelian idea, you know. Hegel, of course, is the great hist- historian of uh, of history, um, the philosopher of history, rather, uh, uh, and and he saw history as a as an endless quest for for freedom and recognition, and that was a generative process, and over the arc of human history. It is you move towards an absolute spirit, a, a final state, if you like, where master and slave no longer have to define themselves in opposition. They are freed from that oppositional relationship, and the identity no longer ceases to matter. You enter into some other order. Marx thought that was communism, and Francis Fukuyama thought that was you know, the, the triumph of liberal democracy at the end of the Cold War. But essentially, when you take contradiction and you turn it into difference, you form your tribes. You know, you you go to war. Um, people make a mistake with Hegel because they think it's it's a synthesis, an idea of a Hegelian synthesis that you start out with a thesis: I am me, you are you, we meet. Uh, that is the. The antithesis, in a sense, because now we bring our contradictions to each other and we form something new out of that, which is a synthesis. It's not really true. He believed that it it was a constant generative process, beginning again and again and again and again and again. It was the eternal contradiction Mm. that is the the driving force. But it would
0: ratchet upwards over time. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Barack Obama's famous line that – you know, there'll be setbacks all the time, but mm. in the long run, uh, what does he say? The arc of the arc of history bends, bends towards, towards justice, justice. That you're going to have, which
1: I don't necessarily believe. It's one, no? it's one of those. Well, it's one of those things that are, that sounds so true. It's like people who say, um, you know, George Santayana, who said that those who do not uh, those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. No, 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 no. <laughs> because I've been in many parts of the world where those who remember the past. Absolutely, yeah, repeated. and they're stuck in. They prosecute yeah, it endlessly. In, the in grievance trance. of history is the yeah. is, is the the iron in the blood of toxic identity. Right.
0: Well, okay. Let's bring that to the to the current moment. Yeah, then, this is where we need to be. Yeah. yeah. So help me. Let's start with America versus Australia, right? Because yeah. I think we can talk in abstract terms about the yeah. racial problems that we're seeing in the United States and the, the racial history, the racist history of Australia. Um, but what do you see as the similarities between the the protests in the United States and Australia's reckoning?
1: From a 30,000-foot view, and then I'll drill down into the specifics, is that we are seeing the limits, testing the limits is a better way of saying it, testing the limits of liberal democracy. You know, the the liberal democratic experiment the Immanuel Kant idea of perpetual peace in a cosmopolitan order, um, is the ability to govern over diversity. That's that's the nub of this, that we can establish uh, a neutral political order in which all people find representation and recognition and that we bring our difference to the public square and we set aside those things for a common purpose and that essentially the centre holds. That's, you know, democracy relies on the consent of the minority, the consent of the loser. We don't tear everything up because we don't get the result we want at the ballot box, because broadly the institutions of government uh, serve us well. When the soft guardrails of democracy, when the institutions of democracy cease to function or we cease to believe in them, when freedom of the press, the rule of law, Um, the role of the state is seen in some way as illegitimate, then you have a crisis. America has been here before. If you go back to the 1960s, of course, and the the race riots of the 1960s and Watts and places like that, um, America had seen a terrible spate of assassinations the mm. kennedy brothers I mean, people martin do luther forget king, about that imagine the president malcolm of the united x states being assassinated and, <laughs> yeah. and then
0: his brother who was his brother? the attorney general who and, was running and, for president and also the voice killed. of civil rights martin luther king and then malcolm shot. x malcolm x killed yeah.
1: and and add to that you're at war in yeah. vietnam yeah uh, and you're in a cold war standoff with a nuclear armed state in in the soviet empire or uh, an empire soviet empire so so we've been here before But the difference, I think, is that even in the dark days of the 1960s, the legitimacy of the American experiment was not necessarily in question.
0: But in question by whom? See, as you say that, and as you Mm. say things like when institutions cease to Mm. function... I hear Black Lives Matter activists and Indigenous Australian activists saying, what do you mean when they cease to function? They have never functioned. They've never functioned for us. They've never worked for us. Well, like in the 50s, you might have thought that yes, they were functioning. Yes. But there was a whole class of people who were disenfranchised, dispossessed. There were this Jim is, Crow laws all over the that's South. That's true. Aborigines weren't even regarded as citizens that's of this, true. this country. So it, that was a fiction and that now the activists are saying we're busting through that fiction. And,
1: and liberalism and democracy is always a promise of tomorrow. So there's always that that sense that we're moving towards something. It's a progressive idea. And the paradox of that is that you can have that both things can be true. That on the one hand, we could have Indigenous people who are not fully recognized as citizens. And then in 1967, we can have an extraordinary referendum where almost 100% of people say that's wrong. Um, We can have a system where black people and, you know, have Jim Crow laws or, you know, but then you have people who fight against that and triumph over that. You can have Barack Obama become president of the United States. And Black Lives Matter form on his watch. I think it's a mistake again if we don't reconcile ourselves to the contradiction, because that contradiction is the energy I think that drives so much of this. And we rub up against that. I think what we've seen post-Cold War, um, this is the long way around, but getting to the to the to the trying to land here somewhere, is that Is the post-Cold War, end of history, Francis Fukuyama idea, the triumph of liberal democracy, the end of the standoff with the Soviet Union, is that that ballast that had held the world in place, that that tension between communism and and, and capitalist liberal democracy, of course, ended. And people know... It wasn't as if we, we entered this golden age of liberalism where all difference was dissolved um, and we are free to live as fully functioning, fully recognized individuals in a, in a utopian liberal state. We actually still had a desire and a need to belong. Our history still spoke to us. The sense of identity was still strong. What do you replace that with? And I think we've seen post-89, post-91, the end of the Soviet Union, um, a rise of the politics of identity and tribalism around identity. And it feeds on historical grievance. And when justice is denied or justice is seen not to be delivered, you have these deep, deep fractures. And of course, the strongest identity of all, the dominant identity in the West, is is white identity, white mm. Christian identity. You know, liberalism was transported in the cargo of empire and colonization. This is built into the fabric of these societies, along with the suppression and the oppression of people of color, you know, colonisation here, dispossession here, massacre of indigenous people, exclusion, segregation, the United States, people brought in chains, whipped, you know, I mean, this this is built into the fabric of it. And when you get to a point where, particularly with Donald Trump, although this preceded Donald Trump, you have a crisis of legitimacy in the presidency, and someone who does not seek to govern with the better angels of their nature, who does not seek... To, to establish some form of broad civic unity But in fact governs from division mm. And takes power from division Then you have this collapse And people, inten- you know that, that tribalism intensifies
0: But th- this is interesting So let's go back to the to your what you regard as being A mischaracterization of Hegel The, the, the cartoon, cartoon yeah. version of Hegel yeah, Is that, synthesis. Is that someone, come, someone comes up with a, a, a proposition yeah. uh, Other people push back against that proposition And create an alternative And yeah. the two fuse together yeah. into a new proposition that some Utopians, also gets, yeah. gets pushed back on and then you ratchet yourself up. Without, without Obama, well, without the war in Iraq, you probably don't get Obama. Without Obama, you probably don't Trump. get Trump. Yeah. So when you talk about identity yeah. and that the default identity has been the white male identity, mm. that's certainly been true for thousands of years mm. up until probably the 70s or 80s. Mm. And at some point during the course of my Youth, uh, I feel like that identity became self conscious about itself, rightly mm. so, aware mm. of its own privilege. But, but without giving up power. In what sense?
1: Aware of privilege, but, dis- but challenging that privilege within the prism of its own power. I don't think that whiteness ever relinquished power to reconcile with its history or its racism.
0: That's interesting. So it's on one level it didn't relinquish its power because the majority of people of parliamentarians and CEOs mm. are still white men. And the institutions run, governed by On the other on another man. level, it is impossible to talk about your identity as a white person mm. the way that people of colour are permitted to talk about their identity as people mm. of colour. Mm. You can't be proud of being white. Yeah. But you don't right? have to be. That's that's a good point. But, but uh, you know, narratively... If, if, if a
1: white person dies in custody, it's not necessarily your problem. If a black person dies in custody, it's absolutely my problem. And I don't have a choice in the matter either because our history has framed it that way. Our identities have been formed that way. I have white ancestry, but I've never... My family has never been judged by a, the measure of its whiteness. Um, we've been judged by the measure of our blackness. Mm. Um, and, you know, when my father was getting the shit kicked out of him, by police as a young man in Redfern, they weren't kicking a man who had an Irish great grandfather. Mm. Uh, we have to care when a black person dies in custody. I have to have an answer. I'm compelled to answer it. I'm compelled to solve it, and I'm compelled to do so in a way that does not make white people feel uncomfortable.
0: I mean, I couldn't give a fuck about white people feeling uncomfortable, but I do. But want- you won't
1: get change if they are uncomfortable.
0: That's tr- that's true. Yes, right. Yes. you got to have people on board. you got to mm. have people feeling like they're all invested yeah. in the mission you know, 60, rather than si- telling them-
1: 67, 1967. We see that as a triumph of recognition of Aboriginal rights. It really wasn't. It Australia was voting for itself. The jingle was, vote yes for Aborigines. They want to be Australians too. Who's mm. not going to vote against Australia? mm so it wasn't vote yes for Aborigines. There are distinct people with a unique history who were here first. You screwed them over and took their land, poisoned their waterholes, killed them, and took their children. Mm. Now we're going to start recognising their rights. <laughs> it was vote yes for Aborigines. They want to be just yeah. like
0: you. I often make the analogy here to the success of the gay rights movement over the, in recent decades. That 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 this is probably the fastest turnaround in public opinion uh, towards any civil rights movement on record. Mm. And uh, I mean, just twenty years ago, it was mm. considered, uh, you know, not just wrong but evil to mm. be gay by by large majorities of the of the population. And now, now they can get married and mm. have kids. Um, and that that was achieved. Uh, what a, what
1: a conservative idea! It, exactly. They want to be just like just like you. Us. And
0: that was ach- it was achieved exactly. That was <laughs> so I, I often often make the point: How was that achieved? It wasn't achieved by saying "fuck you, straight people." <laughs> Fuck you, and you <laughs> don't you straight
1: explain to me. You <laughs> no, it's like hero. I want to have a husband or a wife and children it was,
0: we're here, and a mortgage. We're queer. We want all the same things that yeah, you yeah, do. We, yeah, want job, yeah, yeah, we want a job. We want yeah, we want a family. Yeah, we want a spouse. Yeah, we want yeah. a little bit of cock, but that's fine. Uh, you know, the, the, the framing of it was normal normality. The yeah, framing and, and of it you know was what? not. You're
1: wrong. Look at look at the pushback to this moment. Um, I read and, and and I have to say I enjoy reading this. The Australian newspaper, which you know people see as a sort of Murdoch-based, um, to the right, uh, white Christian, white civilizational sort of you know newspaper, I enjoy reading it. I enjoy reading it because it challenges me, it tests some of my ideas, and and I find common ground often. And with it's the paradox of this and the maddening thing of this for me is that I will read some of the more sort of, you know, uh, to the right, um, classically liberal writers who will say things like, we should live in a world where race doesn't matter, where we're free of those things. Um, In a liberal society, the individual counts, and we don't privilege the group over the individual. And philosophically, I'm on board with that idea. That's I'm down with that. I think I've traveled the world, I've seen the worst of the world, and liberal democracy is is a chance of is a universal idea that gives us a chance to govern over diversity in a way that creates pathways to civic unity and peace. And I've seen that happen around the world and I and I believe that idea. But their framework is always like, we are centered. We are white, we are powerful, we control the institutions of government. We control the media, we write the articles, and now we can say things like, what are you doing with all this identity politics? It's really bad for liberalism. Well, isn't the biggest identity of all, the white identity that created the political power structures that you now benefit from and use to lecture us about how we are tearing down the walls of Western civilization? I mean, if if liberal... It's like these people stopped reading at John Locke and John, and John Stuart Mill. I mean, liberalism.
0: Let me go go into bat for uh, for the idea that you should stop reading at John Locke and John Stuart Mill. uh, In some respect, that (laughs) you can you can round out your idea about the way that the applicability of liberalism Mm. and the hypocrisy of its proponents, Mm. uh, without uh, feeling that we should grow out of. Uh, liberal ideals mm. into something else, which yeah. I think is a lot of what's going on at the moment among young people, especially when yes. I say just so that I'm not misunderstood as being uh, a, sort of a white supremacist here, especially among white young white lefties, yeah. who yeah. are actually, I think. In some respects, the most confused about mm. identity politics, mm. and mm. the most censorious about yes. what you're supposed to believe. Canceling the most, people, yeah, and, the most yeah. Yeah. Beliefs, yeah, the most bigoted about other beliefs, the most fragile when they hear opinions that they yeah. don't. You know, the as, most as, likely to as, claim as, that as, John, Stuart unsafe Mil- because as John Stuart Mill as John Stuart said, mislabeled
1: them. He who knows only his side of the argument knows little of that, right? Yes, exactly. So, so that's and as but,
0: as, as to quote a great African American, James Baldwin has a line yes. that I love. Which, which is, no one's more dangerous than he who imagines himself pure in heart. Yeah. His purity, by definition, is unassailable.
1: Yeah. And he also said, no one is more dangerous than he who thinks he is white. Yes. You know, because, because white is only created as black is created. Mm. It's in the eye of the beholder, and the eye of the beholder was blue.
0: And there's a real white saviour thing going on among, among yeah. my young white lefty colleagues yeah. that I find unseemly. And a yeah, lot of yeah, my yeah, black yeah, friends yeah, yeah. in the States do as well, well. where it's like, let me, let me help lift you up, you yeah. pure of heart, yeah. kind uh, person of colour, yeah. none of whom do anything wrong. We, yeah. the white man, yeah. uh, can be on your side, and we're yeah. going to be marching alongside you and getting all of our social media brownie points yeah. for, for and, participating in this display yeah. of, of and, and, self-guilt
1: and and i think you know for me the great thing about liberalism is that it is an eternal struggle of the soul we are constantly challenging ourselves you know you can have a, a nation founded on the idea of equality in a in a declaration of independence signed by slaveholders you can have a movement uh, you know an idea that 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 is linked to colonization and empire but also carries within it the dream of emancipation. This is I like again that 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 contradiction, that energy that comes from that. Um, and And I think that if you if you read people who have twentieth century um, liberal thinkers like John Rawls, and you know the idea of a of a society based on a veil of ignorance you know where you come to it without any of the preconditions of your privilege and you you are forming a society blind to whether you may be male female white black
0: this is his, this is rawls's thought experiment where he yes, says thought what, experiment, you know yeah. in terms of what society you would want yeah. uh, just imagine that the original be position as he called it, it. Yeah, yeah. randomly
1: the, the original position there was also a secondary position and that is that if there is going to be inequalities, if there is going to be difference, it must serve those people who are the least advantaged. And that was an interesting sort of idea, a really complicated idea to unravel, because that may me, for instance, it's good to have a lot of rich people because rich people are going to pay more taxes. Therefore, those taxes will go to the poor people. And and, and proportionally the poor people will be better off um, so you know the liberalism is constantly trying to find ways to govern over that level of diversity inequality difference um, and and you know and I think that's that's a really good thing but when I hear people who I should be able to find common cause with fellow liberals and I put myself into that into that category um, Fellow liberals who then want to hit me over the head with their whiteness, mm. who, want to, who want to stand there in their full white glory, knowing that liberalism was written by white people for white people and transported by white people around the world that took our land and enslaved us, and then were to tell us just get on board. Um, it doesn't work that way. Mm. And you know, Charles Mills is a, a fantastic uh, Caribbean, Black Caribbean um, political philosopher. I wrote a book called "White Rights, Black What um, uh, uh, White Rights, Black Wrongs," um, and and this idea that that we what what we need to do is we need to go back and redeem our history to make liberalism work. You can't just say to people buy into this idea when there is this idea comes with no no thought of reparations, no thought of acknowledgement of the past, no attempt to redeem that, no attempt to incorporate within a liberal democracy, the acknowledgement and recognition that within that democracy, there are contested and contending ideas of rights and ethical claims to rights that demand greater innovation than a one-size-fits-all, you know, white-dominated narrative that we should all conform to some neutrality. That isn't the way liberalism works. That's actually repudiation of the generative nature of liberalism. So we're in this sort of critical moment, I think, where there's a rearguard action from white people who feel as if this is all a a plot to tear down the walls of white civilization, that the minorities are going to replace them, and the United States confronts this browning of America, um, There's demographic shift that is part of this. Um, At the same time as you have people on the other side who are going, we come from a really screwed up history, and our identity is formed out of our exclusion, our segregation, and the denial of our rights, and that carries within it as well the germ of its own tyranny, because you find people who in Those identities who, in an ideological sense, don't see their own contradictions and impose, see contradiction as difference. For instance, they will sit there and say, a black identity comes at the exclusion of all whiteness. Well, we all have white ancestry, all of us, to some degree black people white people have a black ancestry to some degree um if we can't navigate that if we can't neg- if we can't embrace the and reconcile ourselves to those own contradictions you end up with this certainty the idea of identity certainty which pits people against each other and then people impose those orthodoxies and if you don't agree for instance if you're a black person in the states and you go yeah, maybe Black Lives Matter. I, I understand the need to fight against oppression and police brutality, but some of the other ideas I'm not on board with, and I'm actually someone who wants to break away from identity-based movements. You're out of the club.
0: Oh, I mean, you're, you're not out Tom. of the club. You are, you're Tom. You're Uncle have, Tom. I have a couple of friends Aunt Jemima. One of my One of my good friends in New York, Camille Foster, the uh, first time I met him I was interviewing him on HuffPost Live, and he uh, in the green room uh, I mentioned something about his being black, and he was like, I'm not black.
1: Wow. Okay,
0: and we then subsequently went out for drinks and had a long conversation about what he means by that, uh, and he means that he doesn't buy into binary dif- identities. Yeah, d- yeah. identities.
1: Uh, um, Thomas Chatterton Williams. Yes, you know, he's got a
0: it, great book. Um, yeah, it's he's a great got book. two great memoirs. Yeah, yeah, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's, really he's an African American writer who lives in Paris, and so yeah. has a perspective on race relations in the United States from Ma- the point of view of married to an a outsider. white woman
1: who had a child who was, you know, seemingly yeah,
0: um, white. Their kids looked like Swedish.
1: Yeah, <laughs> girls. And- I, I again, see I, I I run up against problems with that too, because there is an there is a power structure involved here where I may be able to embrace a cosmopolitanism and a multiracialism because that is my privilege now as a as a solidly middle class, even beyond that, you know individual who's traveled the world and you know, has investment property and travel, goes for overseas holidays and send their kids to private schools and it, you know, it enjoys all of the privileges of that, I may be from that vantage point of privilege be able to embrace this cosmopolitanism and think constructively about post-racialism um, as much as I sort of bristle against some of those ideas because they carry their own orthodoxies. I, I can embrace that from a privileged position, but that doesn't shift the fundamental power imbalance that means with all my... You know, white-seeming privilege, I can walk down the street and I can do this any day of the week in Sydney and walk past my blood, my family, cousins of mine in the street with their hand out begging for money because of an inherent system uh, that locks them out of so much of this. Mm. A lot of cards had to form my way to get to the position that I'm in. Members of my own family die tragically young. Don't have those opportunities. I think in the in this rush to embrace an idea of being liberated from the idea of race, can sometimes come at the acquiescence or or, or an apathy towards a power structure that still needs to be challenged.
0: That that is true, but the, I would I would argue that 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 power structure is fundamentally an economic one of economic justice, and that it cleaves along racial lines because of mm. the historical abuse of Indigenous people in Australia. Uh, and, well, I was going to say, and of African-Americans, but also what about the Indigenous people in America who could yeah, constantly who get Yeah, who were not even part of the conversation. part of the conversation. Nobody even gives which a shit I, which about Which I'll about come to Native that in a minute because I've got, I've got an interesting t- take on that. <laughs> okay, I'll come to that. Good. The, but the, we should all want justice for people who have their hand out on mm. the street, mm. regardless of their, their race, which is not to, I which do, is not to d- diminish the fact that, that certain races I do are overrepresented get at the bottom end. I do
1: get that, except... In the case of indigenous people, and you can make this case a different way to African Americans. Although you could probably argue that the the trajectory of social mobility amongst African Americans may be greater, and certainly greater than Native Americans too. And there are reasons for that. Um, you can you can make that case a pure sort of economic case. But the, but what often puts people in that position is not the same. Um, a white person can transcend a particular class and get access to the you know, socioeconomic uplift and, and the changes that that brings.
0: But, well, which but, white but, person? But,
1: but not necessarily... I know
0: swathes of white people who, who don't. Who oh, can't. no, they don't. They don't. They don't. They, the don't. People. they, don't. they I mean, don't. It's not...
1: But, but, but they're not going to carry... Like I said to before, if they, through dint of hard work and good fortune, were able to enjoy that sort of social and economic progression they're not going to necessarily then carry all the history of white people with them. They're not going to have to care if a white person dies in custody, as I said before. Mm. For us, I can sit here today with all of the privilege that I have, but I can tell you the way my sons, with all of their privilege, are spoken to by police when they're with their cousins, Mm. um, it is appalling, appalling. When the cameras aren't on, when they turn to them and say, you're fucking scum.
0: Yeah.
1: You're just like your uncles. You're just like your fathers. Won't be long to we're coming for you. To taunt them mm. in the street, to have mm. their bags taken off and tipped up and thrown all over the ground on suspicion of carrying drugs. And at any moment that could escalate and that is not. Uh, and yet they're solidly middle-class boys, private school boys. Um, race is something that you don't get to be
0: means tested out of. I mean that is a flagrant abuse of police power essentially and, and, and a comes, racially motivated yes, yes absolutely formed the, out of our
1: history yeah yeah yeah
0: and and the the only um the only counter to not wanting to imbue that with identity politics is that if you can make the issue for the broader middle Australia or middle America about one of police overreach, police abuse, the man coming down on you, then you're probably likelier to get buy-in than if you make it a about And that brings us
1: right back to where we started. The thing that attracts me to the... I, I, I would love to be released from my history. I spend my entire life, every waking minute thinking about, reading about, writing about, how the hell do I break the chains of this history?
0: Why is it not a choice, Stan? Because coming back to Thomas... So you mentioned Thomas Mm. Jefferson Williams, who we both know. I'll get him on the podcast at some point. He makes the point that, for example, living in France, mm. he's frequently...
1: Not seen as black, either. He's frequently not he's seen American as black. His American identity is actually more prominent There's than identity. There's the black
0: American identity, and when he's going through Arab. an airport, he reg- <laughs> yes, he gets mistaken for a North African. Yeah. So there are a lot of, yeah. you know, black... Uh, I've had Muslims exactly the same thing. In, I've been yeah? I've been
1: harassed in Israel, yeah. constantly because they say even when I pull my Australian passport
0: out, no, you're not Australian. <laughs> you must be an Arab. Well, exactly, and then you know I I have Asian Australian friends who will enter the United mm. States, and the and the customs agent at the airport at LAX will say, and "Where I, are you from?" And they'll say, "Say Australia," and they'll say, "No, where are you really from?"
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: and I so, wonder. All well, my grandparents are from China,
1: and and to the point that is is it a choice?
0: So hang on, let me just finish the, yeah. let me finish that thought. He says. Yes, I understand the point that we don't get to choose our own identities because the world will impose them on us, but we get to choose how we respond to the world we imposing do. We do. an identity on us. And yeah. I could just roll over and say, okay, if people mistake me for being a North African, then I guess I'll just have to go along with being a North African. But I don't feel like a North African. Mm. I don't mm. want to be a North African. Mm. I, I have no affiliation with North Africa, so I want to push back against it. And mm. similarly, he feels, he can say... Yes, the world treats me like an African-American when I'm in America. That doesn't mean I have to imbue my identity with african Americanness. Mm. I can choose to rebel against but you that. Can also, I can fight it but, if I want to.
1: But you can also choose to do it.
0: You can. But, and, but the current narrative able, is that you can't choose not to.
1: And I reject that narrative. But I think Thomas and Williams and others can go too far the other way and say, well, if I can do it, why, why aren't you doing it too? You should be able to embrace a black American identity – without fear of having that identity challenged, scrutinized, dismissed, diminished, or being beaten to the shit out of because of that identity as well. I mean, people will always say to me, oh, but you're not like the others, or look, look, you've been successful. What does that imply? There's something wrong with the others, who the hell they are, my family, um, that somehow because you have some economic success, therefore you are now, you transcend Race and that—that that is a virtue that I should embrace. The fact that I can transcend race because that's good. I mean, that's not a virtue.
0: Is it not a virtue to be able to transcend identity?
1: No, I think. Shouldn't I shouldn't our principal first identity of all, be
0: Homo sapiens?
1: I don't. Well, and, and I think I think you're absolutely right about that. But but that's an ahistorical you know idea. History has created otherwise. We can't just wash away thousands of years of what got us here. Um, and the. The I
0: sometimes I, wonder whether we make it more difficult than it needs to be. Well, the pr- fundamental principle is that all people Who makes are it more equal, difficult though? Uh, well, a an interlocking network of, but conser- who controls, of white conservatives yeah. on the one hand and probably white liberals on the who other hand who controls the power. Of who power. are both who, yeah. Yeah. Are, who are both. This is not a yin this is and not yang. a
1: this is not a narrative we wrote. No, that's right. This is not a story that's, we got we got true. to write. Yeah, yeah. Um we are we we respond and react to that. And I guarantee you, you know, I will get much more applause from the people that I actually have a philosophical affinity with. If I stand there and prostrate myself in front of their, their neutrality and their liberalism and disavow all ideas of race and let go of the hold of history, and then I'll walk out on the street and I'll see one of my cousins, or, or I will go home and I will see the physical scars on my father who will not go out and have a meal in a restaurant because he knows what shit he might get. Who actually has then I I can't I could count on one hand the number of times we have gone out for a meal. And sometimes we'll say to dad, well, let's go downtown and have dinner. Oh, let's just have dinner here. Mm. Because he doesn't know what the hell's gonna happen. The smart ass comment, the sly look, you know, and maybe, Josh, maybe nothing happens. Maybe nothing happens a hundred times out of, you know, 99 times out of a hundred. And then it does. it happens to someone else you know? And and all of that enlightenment, all of that liberalism in that moment dissolves in the face of the brutality of our history. And that's what we struggle with. And that's my struggle that someone uh, like... Uh, Janet Albrechtson at The Australian or Greg Sheridan, people that I read and I and I want to get on board with and I get quiet and I, and I, you know, because I know that they don't have that. And they'll often say...
0: <clears throat> These look, are conservative columnists yeah, at, uh, at the Murdoch uh, and, broadsheet.
1: And, and then they'll say things like, you know, but look at the Irish and then maybe they have Irish ancestry or in Greg's case. And, you know, that, that finian grievance that we get to, you know, we should move on from that. Yeah, but...
0: You're living in Australia. Yeah. Would you be saying that in Ireland? You see, the Australian experiment... Or would you be saying that in a country where the Irish are consistently shat on?
1: Shat on. You know, if it was England in the 18th century. And if it was your father, if it was your father whose ribs and jaw was broken by police, if it's your father, your father...
0: But isn't the job twofold then, Stan? On the one hand for white people to take a zero-tolerance attitude towards the conduct of other white racists when they shout a slur at your dad. And yeah. then secondly, secondly, and this is the controversial bit, for people like your dad and yourself yeah. to find a way and I, to and decouple the, yeah. raci- the, the, the racism of the current bad apples, because 2020, yeah. I do not believe that Australia and the United States are virulently racist countries. There are racists in them. But mm. it is our choice to interpret the slurs of the 1% as being evidence of historical white supremacy versus dickheads.
1: I would invert that because I would think we I think we do that more successfully than white people do it. I think we actually carry that load um, more honorably and with greater dignity than white people do.
0: Well white people don't have to suffer it, do they?
1: My, no, they don't. And even even from their liberalism, where they will even when they denounce, I've been reading this in the press, where they denounce Unequivocally, what happened to George Floyd. And quickly there's a pivot to a but. Quickly there's a pivot yeah, to, yeah. but these black people out <laughs> yeah, there protesting, yeah. it's, you know, this is not a law of equivalence here, you know. And we, my father, who would have every right to absolutely um, reject anything to do with white Australia, has done nothing but reach out and try to make it better. He saved his language, Wiradjuri language, wrote his the Wiradjuri dictionary, started teaching it in schools. Not, not so we could have it, but white people could have it too. And they could feel part of this country. You know, Aboriginal people, we are not blowing up buildings. We are not killing people in the streets. African-Americans are not blowing up buildings. They are not assassinating presidents. White people are assassinating black people. White people have assassinated white presidents. I mean, we we are not doing this. I would argue that we are absolutely reaching out to liberalism. We are absolutely trying to unshackle the chains of that past. I don't think white Australia or white America meets us in the middle at all. I think they sit there from a position of inherent privilege, knowing full well that the power structures that are created by their history still serve them better than us and tell them that all we need to do is come across to the other side. Um, we, you know, reconciliation in Australia, for instance, we have to bring the energy to that. We do that. We, we, we organise the marches. We get the, you know, we, we we go out and we spend the intellectual and emotional energy of going to white people and saying, listen, maybe we need to do it this way. Have you ever thought about this? Have you? We are carrying such an enormous load. I think we do it. And I think we're struggling to do it. And, and me, I mean, I spend all of my time trying to unpick this because I think, I think identity left to fester in the wounds of history is one of the most toxic things in our world. But we don't get to fix that unless the people who have established the power and benefited from the power actually start to dismantle that themselves without just sitting there and saying, there's nothing wrong on our side, what you need to do is come across here and enjoy all that we've got.
0: On the question of who's rioting and who's being mature and who's not, Uh, I want to take a listen to a a video that really touched me. Of it's an African American woman in New York, and in New York they have these um, at at the public phone booths. They have charging stations where Mm. people who are homeless or who don't have electricity Mm. can charge their devices, and it's a real lifeline. And one of these had been smashed up on the street on her street corner by young white, uh, you know, anti-racists who were out protesting in favour of Black Lives Matter in this majority-minority, people of colour neighbourhood, and she went off at them. Take a listen to this. For every
2: single person out here protesting, remember, there's three homeless men who rely on that as a charging station. And what, what? Will it even work now? For the sake of what? So you can go back home to your f***ing comforts. Sit in your house and think that you did some work today. There are people out here who work in these bodegas, who are security officers, who are maybe not descendants of slavery, but came over here as immigrants to do their jobs. So great,
0: everybody's. And
2: you created an unsafe goddamn environment, and I am tired of it. Do you want to do something? Make sure you're registered to vote. Don't so yeah. start on a goddamn fire and you better pass it on to all of your f-ing friends. You stay out of our neighborhood and you take this to the corporations, you take it to Wall Street, but you don't f-ing come on this block. Period. This is a f-ing neighborhood with immigrants, and you should treat it as such.
1: The angry voice of black liberalism She's saying, listen buy in you want to make change you make change you want to tear this down you understand what you're tearing down and you understand what you're doing to the capacity to build the alliances necessary to make the change that's a that's a powerful statement and the people she was talking to were overwhelmingly white weren't they this is the white people you were talking about are
0: awkwardly standing (coughs) there they don't know what to make of this because the moral clarity is something they can't possibly muster what we what here's the thing in the narrative around this The reason why I completely accept everything that you were saying before we we played that clip, and I will just add to it, that the only jigsaw piece that it misses is that that I worry about white people being pushed away by the sense that there are things that can't be said. Mm. And something that she was just talking about there is something that a white person can't really say in America at the moment, which is, don't burn shit. Don't, well, well, don't get so well they, angry that you smash it up.
1: They can say it, but they will be cast as a racist if they do
0: say it. That's right. Which she means can say that it. in practice you can't say yeah, it. I mean, unless she, you're on Fox News or something. She, if you want to be, invited to parties and, and be it's, in the party, and, it's important. and of that's
1: also times. that's also something that maybe someone from Black Lives Matter won't say, right? Mm. Um and and, and and this is the problem that I have with even liberating movements of identity is that they come with their own orthodoxy and conformity and their own tyranny and that is the tyranny of ideas the tyranny of that conformity and if you don't adhere to that then you are out of it you're out of the club um and 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 that's that's the struggle now how do we get to a point and the utopian idea that we started out with which is the capacity of liberalism to govern over identity it needs to it needs to uh, it needs to be accountable to its history in a meaningful way mm. it needs to dismantle the institutions of that power not so that we end up with some tokenistic certain numbers and quotas of different people but that fundamentally the institutions themselves are uh, reflect reflect the society and that people find themselves both represented in and recognized by you know this is the this is the hard work of liberalism the problem though Josh and this is a bigger problem problem than what we're seeing on the streets there Um, and and here, is that I fear that liberalism as a project reaches its limits much sooner than authoritarianism. And I think the capacity of liberalism to be corrupted by authoritarianism and by authoritarians and despots is is what is weakening liberalism around the world. Freedom House now counts 13 straight years of declining freedom and declining democracy. Um, We know that now people like Viktor Orban in Hungary openly talk about an illiberal democracy. We know that Donald Trump has weakened the soft guardrails of American democracy, rule of law, the independence of the judiciary, um, the the, the freedom of the media, um, and these things weaken the, the state of our democracy. and the big difference now to say the 1960s when there were similar issues or 1990s when there were riots in in LA after Rodney King, um, other crises of liberalism uh, is that there is a viable powerful authoritarian alternative that we have not seen, not in the Soviet Empire which which but now in the Chinese uh, you know in in the rise of China. A rapidly advancing middle income, big economic power, unashamedly authoritarian um, that offers up a different model of authoritarian capitalism that other countries in the world are now starting to emulate. And the challenge of that authoritarianism comes at a time when our own democracy is hitting the limits of its capacity to govern over diversity and its capacity to reconcile and redeem itself from its history. I mean and That is a really tough
0: question. It's extremely dangerous. And one of the reasons why our democracies are hitting those limits is not just because of the allure of Chinese authoritarianism, but because of the the other authoritarian, great authoritarian power of the 20th century, uh, managing its decline, i.e. Russia, Mm. Mm. by throwing sand into the gears of democracy all over the world with a very aggressive and well-funded campaign to sow chaos and confusion uh, using social media. And This is a whole other conversation, and I have other episodes of the podcast devoted to the question of social media and what it's doing to Mm. our minds and to our democracy but i think it's extre- it's a, it's an extremely perilous moment when a majority of americans yeah. for example get their news from face from their facebook feed which can be tweaked and micromanaged and astroturfed as they say in other words funding phony grassroots organizations that seem like they – i mean we know for example that since march the russians have been funding pro Black Lives Matter Facebook mm-hmm. groups mm-hmm. and also anti Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. racist groups mm-hmm. to ratchet up and and mm-hmm. extremify the, you the, know what the, this the is? message from both sides. This
1: is the management of savagery. This is the this is what Al Qaeda in Iraq and ISIS and others employ, which is create a place of savagery to pit sides against each other and out of that chaos to impose your order. Mm. That 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 that's the, that's a rule book. That that's mm. a playbook, right? Mm. Um And, you know, technology is another fascinating aspect of this because technology in a Hegelian sense has the capacity to deliver us to a point beyond, actually at the end of history, beyond contradiction, the capacity of technology to create a neutrality even in a human being a biologically enhanced human being or an artificial intelligence that isn't born out of our history or our biology. I mean technology could be the Hegelian end of history. <laughs> but but interestingly as well, just as Hegel's ideas of the, the 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 engine of history creating an absolute state gave rise to communism. The the advance of technology is also the greatest tool of authoritarianism. Yeah. The capacity of China to monitor its people and to rank people according to their social, um, you know, their social mark. There's, mm. You know, give people a number. Um, how how much you conform to the authoritarian state, and as you say, Russia with its capacity to meddle in in our own affairs. This is a really really pivotal point of our history, and and to bring it back to, to earth with what we're seeing and what directly relates to me. Is that I find myself trying to think myself through these things philosophically, trying to arrive at a point where we can forget our history, as David Reif would have said in that wonderful book, you know, in praise of forgetting. The idea that we can not just remember our past to to not repeat it, but not remember it too well so that we don't repeat it, to to free ourselves from that by building a stronger liberalism and a stronger democracy. I find myself at this point, and I also find myself trying to think my way through the maze of identity politics that I think is not a strong foundation for justice. It cannot be a strong foundation for justice. And yet, there is a point at which all of my logic and reason deserts me The capacity to think yourself through a feeling, Mm. the capacity to think yourself through racism fails in the face of the random nature of it and the personal impact of it. The capacity that one person, an Aboriginal person who dies in police custody is me. It is me they are me they are my history i'm formed out of that that is my side whether i want to choose it or not and people will force me to choose it and then and then you know that that ability to think yourself through something that is visceral mm. is i think the the real nub of the crisis of dealing with identity politics the logic of those who sit on the you know with all the privilege of liberalism Whether it be the sort of white people who sit there and tell us that we need to embrace a a King dream beyond colour and based on character, which King was not really saying. He was saying we don't cease to be black. He says you cease to judge us for being black. Or a Thomas Chatterton Williams personal choice of being able to live in a post-racial world. That fails in the face of the visceral impact of the George Floyd video. It fails in the face of the, of the knowledge that what happens to these people has happened to my family, and it's happening now to my family, and could happen to me. All you're you're, that speaking, fails
0: you're me. speaking descriptively. Mm. Is it a prescriptive, normative Claim you're making as well that it ought to fail that that, that no. our emotions towards a viral video of someone being murdered ought no, to override think, our assessment no. of the data.
1: No, it should not, and I think that indicates what is a fundamental failure of liberalism in that in, in that creating a space for neutrality, you also create the on the space for the ongoing denial of your history. And I think until we can reconcile and resolve those things in a meaningful way, not in a march across the bridge and an apology or or, or or taking a knee, wonderful gestures as they may be and wonderful moments of solidarity as they may be, but in the institutions of a society that allow us to feel as if we are recognised and represented within the institutions of that society. What does that
0: look like in practice?
1: It, it looks like a society where white the, those And I hate using the word white privilege because I know it is unlocks a whole lot of other things. You can be a deeply underprivileged white person, um, but but structurally, if we can't find innovative mechanisms that are consistent with our liberalism to be able to unpick that and to increase the level of recognition and representation, we're going to have a crisis of legitimacy. And let me put that into really concrete terms. Uh, a concrete example: the Uluru statement from the heart, rejected on the basis that somehow this was an illiberal idea, that we were putting race into a constitution, that we were creating a body that would only be representative of one sector of the population. Ergo, this was difference based on race. That narrow reading of liberalism and the rejection of that goes to the n- the nub of what's wrong with our liberalism now and the essence of the white privilege of liberalism is that Aboriginal people who have emerged out of a a history where we were excluded uh, from Australia's liberal experiment, um, where it worked against us, were saying, here in the foundation document of the nation, the basis of how our society is governed, we can attach our aspirations, our dreams, our hopes to narrow that gap, that divide. That liberalism that works for others can work for us. Now, the idea that liberalism cannot embrace group identity because that is antithetical to individualism is dumb. It is mm. narrow, it is lazy thinking.
0: Yeah, I don't, of- I, I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just adopt the statement from the heart and why you wouldn't acknowledge indigenous australians in the in the constitution and why you wouldn't have an advisory have a, body have a, a, a to, voice. to have a voice to parliament because it goes to the
1: fundamental question of recognition and representation that is needed to transcend those things
0: but if it was an author... i mean th- so the cons- what the conservatives say about having uh, who oppose having a voice to parliament is why should we have a third chamber of parliament who, yeah. which is just for indigenous australians and we know First that it Nations didn't people, have that mandate but it wasn't but it didn't, have that, didn't have that mandate i mean it's if it's only an advisory body that yeah. can be rod- can be ridden roughshod over if the parliament wants to anyway, then mm. where's the harm in having and, pe- and, people chime in?
1: And remember, Josh, getting back to my point where I think we do much more heavy lifting when it comes to re- resuscitating and rehabilitating our liberalism than than white liberals do, um, this was an inherently conservative idea. Yeah. This was saying we believe in liberalism. We don't mm. reject
0: it. We want to be part of the institution. Make
1: us part of it. Yeah. And, and, and isn't – I mean, we are all recognised in some way – in the many layers of our identity via our group associations. I mean, if there was a law passed today that would discriminate against Catholics, then Catholics as a group would have a right to seek redress and to seek protection of their rights as a group. It doesn't mean that you are only Catholic. It doesn't mean that that is the only thing that is your part of your identity. In the same way that I sit here as someone who has layers of their identity and who have multiple identities, but part of the formative identity that I have is being an Indigenous person formed out of that history. Now there is an argument that in acknowledging, recognising the role of that group and the rights of that group, which by the way is already recognised within our liberalism. The highest court in the land has already acknowledged that there are rights inherent in being First Nations peoples with things like native title, the Marbo decision. These things already exist at law. What we are looking for is a political architecture that can give some shape to those rights that already exist at law in a way that is utterly consistent with our liberalism. So if- and that frees me. Yeah. I get a chance to breathe. I get a chance to say, you know what? If we have continued deaths in custody, if we have continued police brutality, there is a mechanism by which we can influence the outcome of policy to change that in a way that is consistent with our governance and our liberalism. It ceases at that point to be just my problem and ceases to become a structural institutional problem that belongs to Australia that all of us
0: are accountable for. Can we just pause on deaths in custody because you've raised it a couple of times. But when we bumped into each other at the, at the coffee shop at the ABC last week, um, you actually said something interesting, which I didn't mm. know, which was that there are no more Indigenous deaths in custody per capita than there are white deaths per in custody.
1: Well, well, percentage-wise taken overall, this is was this one of the findings of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody, that the that the percentage rate of white people dying or non-Aboriginal people dying in police custody was roughly the same as the number of Aboriginal people. But we're so grossly overrepresented. Yeah. yeah. So, so it depends so, whether
0: you look at the population as a whole, but yeah, see,
1: here's, but, here's the... but but you know, if if white people percentage of their population we're imprisoned at the rate of the, our population we are imprisoned at 10 times the rate of our of our percentage of our population yeah it's catastrophic Could you it, imagine you having at,
0: 200 million australians in yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> two, million. Two, million, <laughs> 2 million 2 million but yeah no i mean and the uh, i mean the other thing is when you look at juvenile detention for example i mean in the i think half of all te- of all young people who are incarcerated are in, indigenous in the
1: northern territory 97% amazing so so
0: and and, and
1: and then we're a small pop and then and let's get back to the other thing too because we are a small population and we are so grossly overrepresented and there are structural there are structural reasons for that sentencing laws the num the, the things that people are sentenced for mm. three strike laws in different parts of the country i mean people who are in jail for unpaid fines mm. people who are in jail for crimes of just abject poverty um people who are in jail for drug crimes who have drug and alcohol addictions I mean all of these things that we can resolve in very different ways the lack of representation um uh, you know isolation mm. all of these things that are, that are factors. the other thing is we're three percent of the population and we're almost a third of the a third of the prison population so if someone dies in custody there's a big chance that I know them or know someone who knows them right it is it is close to home so again of a statistic is not a measurement
0: of what the impact of these things are on a society and but we and you... also need to resist a simplistic interpretation of the statistics and i think mm. um one of the one of the risks that that comes about from uh, arguing that the disparity in incarceration is exclusively a result of racism is that then white conservatives whether they're allowed to say it publicly or not will think to themselves yeah, but what about the disparity in the crime? Mm, mm, right. Once mm. you racialize it, then you think then it invites an invidious kind of comparison where people yeah. go, "Well, okay, some of those people are are in, incarcerated for the reasons that you just articulated—petty mm. yeah. crime, things that you know they really shouldn't be in there for—and and some are in there for really uh, heinous and some crimes. are in there for really bad crimes yeah. which are committed disproportionately and, and, by and that often community. against their own people." Yeah.
1: So the, these things are incredibly complex. I mean, that Aboriginal women are thirty times more likely to suffer domestic violence. I mean that's happening in our homes, in our communities. We we have to take ownership of that. We can't walk away from that. And and these things, you know, I'm I'm loath to just wash these things away with sort of colonization and history. Um I come out of that and I'm not doing that. And my father came out of that and he doesn't do that. And uh, you know, this is not this is not who we are. This is and it's also not cultural because it's not who we are. But we all know that crime and stress, these things don't exist in a vacuum. We know that people who are more likely to die at the hands of others are living in often very stressed communities, deeply, you know, communities that are in, deeply poor and disadvantaged. And all of these things that crush in on people and create toxic environments that manifest themselves in this sort of, in this sort of crime, all of these things need, need to be considered. I mean, we don't solve these things in a day. I doubt these things and these big questions would be resolved in my lifetime or even my children's lifetime. But I, but I fundamentally believe that liberalism and liberal democracy and its, and its universality and its capacity to govern over difference is and diversity is, is a dream worth pursuing in the face of the alternative – Authoritarianism. I do believe that it is weakened by an identity politics that wants to frame everything from a vantage point of grievance and history. I I believe that too. Um, But I also believe that if we don't look at who holds that power and has created that, if we don't look at what has generated those identity political movements, then we're not going to resolve these things either.
0: No, and it strikes me that the conversations are taking place on both sides in a very limited scope. That yeah there is not a lot of talking across the aisle and being upfront about having not even uncomfortable a lot comfortable conversations yeah
1: and not even a lot of talk within your own group about having these things. I mean I you know I, I put my neck out a lot by mm. trying to. By trying to have these conversations amongst my oh, own, no,
0: I always imagine you having one foot on on a boat uh, and another yeah. foot on another boat in a river, yeah, and you're yeah, trying yeah. to stra- you're trying not to fall in the lake.
1: But 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 to do otherwise would be intellectually um, dishonest.
0: <laughs> That's the fashion of the day, Stan. Yeah, being intellectually uh, I, dishonest, I
1: mean, I, and, and you know, it's interesting too when when we look at something like Obama, who Shelby Steele, you know, black American conservative, who. Uh, who often writes very penetrating things and things that make me think, sometimes I disagree, but um, he wrote a a great article about Obama when he was campaigning for the presidency and called him a bound man, that he was a man who looked to make history as the first black president, but the deal was he could never talk about being black. Mm. And remember whenever Obama raised race issues, he'd get slammed and he didn't raise them very often, and he backed away from them very, very quickly. Um, Henry Louis Gates was an interesting example, wasn't it? The friend of his and professor who was arrested by breaking into his own home because he left his keys behind. And and Obama came out very forcefully, got slapped down really quickly, and then thought, oh, let's get the cop and Henry Louis Gates together and have a beer and just shake hands. Um, He's, you know, there is deep unease amongst black Americans about his his. The way that he dealt with these things, and that he well, didn't confront these Well, in hindsight, now things. there is. Yeah, yeah, but
0: I mean, would any of the people who regard him as being naive have the ability to become president of the United States? No.
1: You see, this is the thing, and, and so
0: he actually enacted he, yeah, the he most did. revolutionary, yeah, really, probably yeah. the most influential hmm. civil rights triumph. Mm. Uh, Since the 1960s, Mm. 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 and it was in in the face face of enormous opposition, enormous opposition, and now increasingly, increasingly dismissive attitudes Mm. from young people in the United States who think that he was just a a a naive boomer who wanted to reach across the aisle, who didn't understand the reality that African Americans now have it worse than ever. I mean, Mm. this is a part of the so so talking about these silos of narratives where people are talking to each other within them and never across them and never reaching across. There are these shibboleths that you sort of have to believe now to be anti-racist, mm. which are things like... I mean, they're basically things that are concocted by critical race theory classes yeah, in universities, yeah, 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 and then yeah. people graduate and think that they're the ultimate Which I've truth. never been a, a, a fan Yeah, of. so it's things like we live in a white supremacist yeah. society. We are structurally, irredeemably racist. Yeah, yeah, there is no yeah. point in... meddling in, in around. Basically nihilist, yeah. basically yeah. saying... Whites are always going to fuck you. Yeah. And there's and, and even... So if you're a white person, the only thing you can do is shut up, mm. sit down, listen, get schooled, mm. understand your white privilege, stop being fragile, mm. stop whitesplaining things, don't have an opinion, don't mm. engage in this debate. Mm. What we need you to do is like here's let me listen to something prostrate yourself
1: in front of us for your absolute for our yeah and in
0: many respects in the states now kneel physically kneel Mm. physically Mm. take a knee in front of me as i stand up doing the black power salute Mm. here's uh this is audio of uh of one of the um the rallies one of the protests and they start trying to get the uh the african-americans up to the front and push all the white people who are marching with them uh, to the back and around the side so that the white people will be at the brunt of the police brutality uh, rather than the black people. I yeah. kind of thought the point of civil rights was that you don't go to the back of the bus, yeah. and that everybody is yeah. supposed to be I, equal. If they well, show up.
1: Josh, you know, when you take contradiction and turn it into difference, when you know the contradiction should be that black and white can stand together against these things, but when you create when you turn contradiction to difference, you go to the back. Um, this is the poison, I think, of all of these things, and the, but I think there is also a danger in taking those moments and normalising those. Uh, laying As if laying of the those over movement. yet. You yeah, know what? Yeah. Most people in America are not protesting. Um, protest is also not an indication of change. Remember the the, the the huge protests in Australia during the Iraq War, condemning the Iraq War, and John Howard got re-elected with an increased majority. In the Vietnam War, the Vietnam moratoriums, the, the government of the day was returned with increased majority. Um, don't I, I? I think there's a danger sometimes in overlaying these things and seeing things that are not necessarily there. And certainly not necessarily representative. Um, I think the broad majority of people, black, white, whatever, um, are looking for ways, and this has been my experience, looking for ways to reach across that divide, to find common ground, to rehabilitate our liberalism, to allow it to be rec- to, to to have greater representation and recognition. I think that hard work is being done, and I would argue. That the hard work is done primarily by the by us by our side. Definitely. I think I think we do the heavy lifting in this. I think those incidents well, I mean, can, just, uh, can be can muddy those waters a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. If it weren't for the predominance of that narrative, but it's a narrative in mainstream. It's a narrative And mainstream academia, mainstream yes. elite institutions, yes. and mainstream. It's meeting. a narrative. So, like in the New York Times this week. Uh, there's a te- there's a an op-ed, uh, you know. This is the paper of record. Mm-hmm. This is this is the opinion page mm-hmm. of the most important publication, arguably in uh, in liberal America. And it's entitled "I don't need love texts from my white friends. I need them to fight anti-blackness." And it's a, by an African American guy who's got a book coming out. And it, the first line of it is, "My book is coming out in a few months, and I don't know if I'm going to be alive to see it because no. I'm a black man." Yeah. Yeah. Now that's norm, That's the norm. That is mm. the establishment mm. norm. That's if you do, if you object to that, if you yes. say, "Well, hang on, what are you talking about? You are a black mm. man, so you think you are going to die within the next two or three and, months?" And, that's and, completely and, as- and if you and if you
1: are publishing a book, a black man without some privilege, you know, he, yeah. he, he, <laughs> but, with with some privilege
0: rather. I mean, he has. I mean, but look, I can't say that without I will be accused of being essentially a white supremacist and this is and this, a, and is, a, and and
1: a this is this is these are dangerous fault lines, you see. And and again, coming back to the heavy lifting that we have to do, this is my lot in life. Right? I mean I I am trying to think my way through something as visceral. I mean and I feel like that it shouldn't is
0: be up, it shouldn't fall on your shoulders. I mean this well, I, it does. I want to be a, it does. a person who who works as tirelessly as I can to ensure that everybody has opportunity equally and mm. that everybody is able to fulfill their lives mm. and I want to use conversations to help people to think about the ways in which mm. that's achievable. Um I, I guess the the next question is, I mean, I saw a tweet by, I don't know if you know, Zaid Jelani, a yeah, yeah, journalist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's from Georgia and he works for The Intercept now. Yeah. So he's very left wing. I mean, this is Glenn Greenwald's uh, news outlet. And he tweeted, what if promoting a narrative that minorities are victims of various forces out of their control is actually dehumanizing us? Mm. And he wrote a piece in Tablet about that. That, And that that, is the interesting thing. That's good thinking. Yeah, that's the interesting thing for me. Like, how do I engage in the fight for justice and anti-racism without Mm. becoming co-opted by hand-wringing, uh, performative mm. left-wing mm-hmm. whites who want to mm-hmm. be saviors and who want to exclude any uh, people of colour who don't conform to their critical mm. race theory ideas mm. as being Uncle Tom's. Like, yeah. I don't want a bar of them. But, but, but don't think we can't do that. Don't think we can't do that. I mean, we're having
1: this conversation. There are conversations going on across America right now in various ways. There are there are town hall meetings. There are little leagues. There are people having coffee. There are you know Mm. these conversations are are happening. Uh, A dominant media-driven narrative um, is not necessarily the story of the age, but but uh, but narrative is 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 important because it does it does lay over us a story that creates the parameters for the debate and and I worry about that all the time and I'm you know I am constantly in a battle with these things within myself um looking for ways to be productive and constructive looking to take ideas that align with my own but then challenging where those ideas come from challenging the people who are speaking those ideas to maybe address the privilege that they have uh, and, and, you know, trying to open up that space, it's not easy to be, you know, um, and I, I don't even like using broad terms, like you say black. I mean, I, I'm black in Australia, but if I go to America, I'm a Latino or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, funnily enough, when, when we been in the States, my boys, you know, you walk down the street and you'll get a different reaction to different boys. My middle boy looks like a sort of, a, a, a sort of light-skinned African American, you know, very, you know, facially his features and his his hair and his and and black American guys who walk by and you know give him a nod, you know. So all that little bit of recognition. My my youngest son walks into any restaurant in America and people speak to him in Spanish. People stop him mm. in the street and speak to him in Spanish. They think mm. they think he's a Mexican. Mm. He went and played basketball over there and uh, he went down to the border of Mexico and there was an all Mexican team he was playing with. He came up to him, and started speaking in Spanish, and then said, and said, you know, hang on, what you're not. And then asked him what he was doing with all the gringos. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you're constantly, so, but, but those sort of broad based things that, but, but, but speaking as a person who is a, for want of a better phrase, a black liberal, to put a foot in each boat, to try to, to steer those boats to shore, to try to have those conversations, I cringe at the performative aspects of identity. I cringe at the, the sort of, Orthodoxy of identity, the tyranny of ideas, the, 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 the this sort of thing that ties you to one essentialized view of what you are, that privileges one thing above above another, whether it's sexuality, gender, race. In a, in an ideal world, philosophically, I am right there with those things, but I navigate those ideas with the weight of my history mm. on
0: my back. You know? Absolutely, but I mean, and we- my
1: family in front of me.
0: Th- Yes, exactly. Looking I mean, at the face of this. The weird thing about that essentialized view that you're talking about is it we perceive it as being uh, intrinsic and unchanging, mm. but in actual fact the taboos surrounding it and the conversations and narratives that you're supposed to understand it existing in are changing and updating all the time. So this sort of brings us to, like, the cancel culture mm. component of things, right? You know, Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime mm. Minister, was mm. al- almost lost his, his job because he had these photos come out <laughs> yeah. of when he was in his early and 20s. And he was meant to be, be down with us all. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. He's supposed to be the the white knight on a on a horse, right? You know, the knight on a white horse. and And he comes out having put on blackface. Yeah. Now blackface was always understood i mean as long as i've been around i've understood that the al jolson style of blackface that is that is explicitly intended to hark back to the the mm. period that where you were ridiculing African Americans. African
1: Americans couldn't play in these places, so white people put the face on to right. play African Americans who were playing in a place that they couldn't play.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it was incredibly demeaning and humiliating, and it simply mammy and, and, yeah, and you know, I mean, it you rubbed s- it rubbed step and salt fetch it. into the wound yeah. of of very real and present yeah. oppression uh, that, that was that was going on. So that is incredibly tasteless to do. The question of whether or not it's okay, for example, to impersonate Michael Jackson at a Halloween party by putting on boot polish on your face mm. is something that now is considered. Maybe
1: Michael Jackson's not the best example. Well, of that. <laughs>
0: okay, maybe not for other reasons. <laughs> which which um, Michael? <laughs> uh, you know, let's uh, let's let's uh, you know pick Obama. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah. you want to go as Obama to a fancy yeah. dress. Um, the idea that that is a fireable offence that's yeah. fairly new. Yeah. I don't think that that was a norm no, no, when no. I was in high school and, and, in the 90s. And,
1: and again, a one-size-fits-all categorization of these things. I mean,
0: it's the same with the N-word, right? I got in yeah. hot water last year because it emerged that some years ago in New York when I was doing my old podcast, I was mm. shooting the breeze with African-American friends who hate the phrase, the N-word. And we right, were talking right, about right. the existence of the actual word. Yes. And we made a conscious policy.
1: Sometimes that word needs to be heard, in right? In this drunken
0: yeah. environment of right. uh, of a podcast at a bar in Brooklyn to just be saying the word and talking about, like, what is it about this word? Mm. What is it, you know, why is it offended? Who can say it? When can you say it? And this got dug up by a media commentator in the in the Australian press And so there was then this article about you know ABC presenter you know in hot water over use of the N word totally taken out of context totally taken out of context but context doesn't matter anymore context doesn't matter anymore at all the magical word like those magical syllables were said even though it was in the context of this is a horrendous word that should never be used against anybody yes um and you know a lot of the feedback that I got not just on Twitter, but even in emails from people at the ABC, uh, was um, completely certain that I had just been sort of looking for an excuse to use that because deep down I'm really racist and I just love using that word. And I came out of that experience thinking, well, hang on, this is something that has been evolving over the course Mm. of our lives. Mm. It was different. I mean, I don't want to sound naive, but I wouldn't record that podcast today because I do think there's been an updating of the taboo gradually mm. over the course of the past five to ten years. Yeah, and and I... It's, and it's, there's no recognition of that. There's no recognition that, you know, the conversation that we're having now, we may have trodden on landmines that in ten years yeah, yeah, we'll will around. be fireable yeah, for me. Yeah. I don't know whether or not we've said black where we should have been saying African-American, yeah, 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 whether yeah, we've... Yeah, you know, yeah, it's entirely yeah. possible that in 15 years' and, time and someone and will want to get me fired for having this conversation. It's
1: a really... It's, again... Just going back to this thing of trying to think your way through something that's visceral. Um, I, I, I get that, and, and I get that in the context of that conversation and the boundaries that were set within that conversation by the people who were you were having that conversation with, that that was an acceptable use of that word. I mean, if you're quoting James Baldwin um, and who used the word liberally to effect, if you want to literally quote Baldwin and you used that word, could you do that? Um,
0: no, what, you see, I don't because, think you're allowed to make those mouth noises
1: Yeah, and, 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 and I, again, I understand where that's taking us and I understand the difficulties of doing this but let me tell you a little story of how, these, of how you're, you can't think your way through these things I was at a party uh, and there was a well-known media person who I would consider a friend and I would not consider to be racist at all who was telling me a story about a relative and how the relative used to use a particularly pejorative term about Aboriginal people and was sort of making the point of, oh, what a terrible racist he was. You know, he used to say this the moment that word was said, even in the context of relaying to me how a, a this person thought that was appalling mm. and how bad the uncle was for doing this. The moment that word was said, I felt like I felt sick. Mm. I, it was a visceral reaction to something that, you know, if I think my way through it, I shouldn't have, but I was right back to when I was a kid. And mm. that was said, I was right back to when my father picked me up from school once and and I was walking out with a group of boys who I considered my friends who said, is that your father? And then laughed. Mm. Even the use of the word within the social setting that it was with a friend who thought that they were on comfortable ground with me, relaying a story that they were appalled by, the use of the word itself just made me feel sick. Mm. And, and I, I went away. And then I couldn't forget about it. For the rest of the day, I couldn't forget about it. And driving home, I told my wife, Tracy, about it. And I said, I really don't know what to do with this. And I don't know whether to go back and, ma- and raise this again. In the end, I, I just let it slide because I didn't want to have that. I didn't want to make that person feel bad either. And uh, But the use of these words, even within a context in which they appear to be acceptable, or at least you've created the parameters for a discussion where that word might be legitimately used, um, it still can, someone else hearing it can just be made to feel sick. Mm. It's hard to think your way through this stuff. You know, that's why I keep saying I, my, my guide through all of these things is philosophy. I, I that is the, there's a thing I turn to constantly. It's what I read. It's what I, I look for ways of navigating this through thought and, um, and logic and reason and rationality. But the thing about racism is it is not those things. It's it's childhood. You know, Immanuel um, Kant once said about, you know, being, being tied to an eternal minority and what he meant by that minority being childhood, that we need to break the bonds of that childhood to enter into a, a world of cosmopolitanism where we're not defined by those things. And I'm there at the other end of that. I'm in the cosmopolitan perpetual peace world. But the minute someone says that, I'm still chained by my minority, my I childhood.
0: Think, I think if there were a, an agreement to a detente mm. where we could say, all right, here's the list of words that you're not allowed to say. and Because I think there is a utility in an increasing amount of conversational taboo. I mean, I think it's a good mm. thing that you can't tell racist jokes in the yeah, office anymore. Yeah, I yeah. think it's a good thing that you can't yeah. look at a, a female coworker and go, cool, it sits on her. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, these yeah, are all yeah. good things. I mean, yeah. I, you, we want to you, just go back and read any newspaper article from the 1920s yeah. Yeah. and the level of flagrant racism and sexism, sexism yeah. is... And it's here. way better. It's a way better world for Me Too. It's a mm. way better world for, for Black Lives Matter. And we're all better for that. It's a way better for us all. We're all better for that. To have guardrails. But here's the thing. I, I think we need, we need to feel like the sands aren't constantly shifting mm. and that there isn't a subtext of gotcha. About mm. the whole thing where you're uh, you're doing what I call outrage archaeology, mm. where you're essentially hunting through uh, through people's language and people's histories and people's works to try to isolate the most outrageous or egregious thing mm. so that you can deplatform Winston Churchill and a whole bunch of other people for being racists rather than judging them in mm. the context of their their time. So I'm mm. perfectly happy to say let's not use that slur against Indigenous Australians, even if, if we're talking about how bad it is. Mm. But I want to know that in five years or 10 years, th- th- we won't have turned that all on its head. So and there'll I, be a whole bunch of different things. I think it's
1: okay that the, sh- the sands shift. I think it's good that we confront, but, I, but it's it's the prosecution of it. We should be able to have the conversations without the prosecution and i right. think i think that's that that's what's critical but again this comes back to the idea of the tyranny of thought that you impose an ideology on top of this um and the, you know the the antidote to this is our is our liberalism um It it is the capacity to disagree ethically. It is the capacity to be able to speak freely without that level of prosecution of everything you say and to meet offensive ideas with better ideas. You know, this is... But every time, you know, from my point of view, it'd be much easier for me to be a liberal who was white because I wouldn't have to unpack the baggage that liberalism came with. I wouldn't have to say that... Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher of the Enlightenment, who wrote What is Enlightenment, that's what he wrote. He gave it its name. Who who wrote that also said horrible things about about African people. That Hegel who gave us an idea of the of the end of the driving forces of history and the power of freedom and recognition also is someone who believed that history only began in Europe. Mm. Um, I have to unpack that. I have to work my way through that. In a, and I have to work my way through that knowing that that is not just an intellectual exercise, that those ideas imported here took lives, took the lives of my family and continue today to be felt in the early deaths of my family and the imprisonment rates of people in my family. Um, I mean, I that, to, that
0: might be harder intellectual and emotional work, mm, but it gives you an enormous gravitational. bone it's you on. You better, you, But it also yeah. permits you, it grants you standing to essentially say whatever the fuck you want about and these I, and issues, and, uh, but I have that a white to, person doesn't have. But I
1: have to demand it, I have to own it, and I have to be very careful With the way that I construct it, in a way that I am always walking through that minefield, that I don't want to diminish or dismiss the suffering of my own people. I don't want to get to a position where I can diminish the ongoing impact of racism by appealing to a post racial liberal utopia. But at the same time, I don't want to perpetuate essentialized ideas of identity that turn toxic and divide us into our tribes and fail to find a civic unity beyond difference. This is, this is the big work of my life, and I didn't ask for it. You know, I was put there to navigate it. From the moment that I left my family and went to university and found myself in an environment where I was the only one, or there are a handful of other Aboriginal people, I had to learn how to eat with white people. I had to learn what it was like to to understand their jokes. Um, I had to understand that I was alone and they were many. Um, I, I went overseas and I reported the world and I saw the rise of toxic identity in all of its forms, the way that historical grievance is used, as Nietzsche said, the man of resentment who constantly returns to the open wound, not to heal the wounds of the past, but to draw More vengeance from it. Um, I've seen how that is twisted and turned into toxic identities that kill. Um, I've seen authoritarianism built around the endless prosecution and grievance of history. China, Xi Jinping, never forget the 100 years of humiliation by foreign Mm -hmm. powers. Don't forget what the white devil did to us. Um, ISIS. Don't forget the end of the Caliphate. The Caliphate collapsed. You know, the Ottoman Empire collapsed because we'd strayed from Islam. We were so weak. Look at these white people, what they do to us. Look at the West, what they do to us. We need to recapture that. A fundamentalist 7th century Islam that will save us from the the evils of the West. You know, to navigate those fault lines, to try to understand that world, to bring it back to my own world, to try to look to myself and free myself from the chains of history and to try to bring the intellectual world to rehabilitate liberalism and to make common cause with my fellow liberals who don't share my history and can't possibly understand what it is like to live the life that I've lived and see the history that I've had, and then to talk to my own family who have every reason to reject liberalism as an oppressive idea that kills them and puts them in jail. That's the path I have to walk, but to do anything other would would be an abdication of the responsibility that I have, and a failure of of, of intellect. Mm. You, you've got to be able to do it. You've got to bring yourself to it. And look, w- <clears throat> what
0: white people, I think, can do when you step up to the intellectual plate uh, and you reject a failure of intellect is to ensure that they don't have a failure of empathy at the mm. same time. Because when you say that no one can appreciate the experience emotionally that you and your people have gone through, uh, that's true. It's also true that most people have had glimpses. Mm, 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 most mm. people have had glimpses. I've had the moment where I'm walking through the East village of New York holding hands with my boyfriend and someone mm. walks past and goes,
1: Faggots! Yeah, yeah.
0: And you don't know if you're going to get your head beaten in. I've yeah. had moments. I've yes, seen my yes, grandmother, yes. who was a Holocaust survivor, yes. try to deal with her fear and yes. a, a impression of what it means to be a Jew and that's part in a of new you. world. And that's all part of me. And if those words are used. They have a visceral impact they do. on you. Yeah, yeah. yeah scream out Jew at me or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've all, most of us, I mean, there's a certain class of people who haven't perhaps, the the highly privileged WASPY mm. yeah. uh, private school types perhaps, but I they've got their own demons probably. Everyone's got their own demons. I think, pla- I think, I think demons. place
1: is important. Where it happens is important. One of the things that I found incredibly liberating was when I lived overseas because I didn't have to meet white people with the weight of our history. Yeah. They didn't. So, And so that's the same with African-Americans African-American moving to Australia or, or Europe. Or France. Yeah. I mean, Baldwin went to France. Why? Mm. He said, because I don't want to be a Negro, let alone a Negro writer, right? Mm. I don't want, not because I'm not, I don't want to be black, but I'm not going to be your black person. And, and, and I found it incredibly liberating. Now, in the same way, your experience of your Judaism and your heritage is going to be different if you were in Europe now with a rise of anti-Semitism and mm. a rise of a far right-wing politics that look at you and can do damage to you, mm. that context changes. You see, Australia is quite a remarkable experiment in a sense. It's, it's a haven from history. We've created a society where people can come here and Shia don't have to kill Sunni. And Catholic doesn't have to kill Protestant, and Macedonian doesn't have to hate Greek, and Armenian doesn't have to hate Turk. And now, do we put aside? Do we still not carry those stories? Yes, we do. But there is a way of wearing your history more loosely here, yep. that people who come here can breathe. From you know, they can sh- shake off it comes those shackles. Back to what
0: you were saying about forgetting, about there being a virtue and in a certain there amount is of absolutely
1: forgetting. a virtue in that, but. What happened here happened here for us. You know, I drive on this land. I walk on this land where it happened. My family is here. We could only be formed here. It is different for me here Mm. than if I was somewhere else. If I was an American right now, I could have a philosophical discussion about race and liberalism and how we free ourselves and how we do these things. I could do that because I have a measure of... Detachment from the lived experience But an right. African American can't necessarily do that yep. Obama can't even do that and He's yep. been President of the United States Thomas Chatterton Williams can write the book that he writes And have those thoughts that he has In France, I wonder if Back in America, where A cop pulls him over And anything could go horribly wrong mm. um, Or his father, or his brother Or whether that's necessarily Going to be the same case You know, So the context and place matters. Um but the dream, the ideal of being in a place where you can free yourself from from that history where the essentialized idea of race or sexuality or gender is not the defining idea of who you are, where we bring those things to the marketplace and to the public square with with a measure of recognition and representation that gives us faith in the institutions of that society, the ability to govern over that diversity, the ability to rehabilitate liberalism from its history. This is a shared project on the extremes... Where people sit there and tell you give it all up, forget about it, get over it, or you know to hell with you, you're irredeemably racist. We're never going to get anywhere. I don't believe that that's actually what defines us. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's where most people live. No. I think the narrative, the media, the media needs con- conflict, so it pulls those two contending narratives together. It brings them to the centre and it lets them go at it. But underneath that, or it takes
0: that, sides. I mean, that New it York takes Times up firmly placed it takes on sides. one side.
1: But underneath that, I think we are we are meeting each other and finding our way, and we're navigating this, and we're having these discussions. I mean, my my wife is 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 you know um, ostensibly a, a white Australian. She also has Chinese ancestry, but you know ostensibly that's her life and that's how she's different. It doesn't. We love each other, and and we share a life together, and. We build that life around the things that that we share in common, but there are times when we rub up against that, where she can't, po- where she will say something that she cannot possibly know is going to upset me, mm. or there'll be an assumption, or members of her family will make comments that I have to deal with. Um, but we do that because we love each other, and because we come to that in good faith. And I'm not going to sit there and say that's it, I'm out, you're mm. done you're a racist i'm out of here um because that's the problem with our society if we cannot come to this with a measure of love and kindness and understanding if we you know if if we all carry the weight of this and commit to this idea of what liberalism can be knowing full well that liberalism you know carries the weight of its own history and its own baggage but in a world where we are seeing a recession of democracy, where liberalism is dying from the outside and being uh, from the inside and being attacked from the outside, where there is absolutely a viable authoritarian alternative, um, this is—if we don't get this done. Mm the consequences are potentially catastrophic and I don't think we understand that. I think we've lived with the long peace for so long that we don't think that nations can fall. We don't think that borders can be redrawn. We don't think that we can have catastrophic global conflict and we can.
0: We can wrap it up on this point, but just to add a button to your point about the the authoritarian uh, um, model of China being something that we have to pay heed to, I just saw a series of quotes that were... There were, there were three passages and three quotes within each of the three passages about uh, white people being overrun by Muslim invaders and so on. One of the quotes was from the Christchurch shooter in mm. each column. Another one was from the Norwegian uh, white supremacist shooter. Brevik. Uh, Brevik. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try not to say their names yeah, because I don't yeah. want to give them cred. <laughs> uh, and the other was from Viktor Orban, the mm. leader of Hungary, <laughs> and they were indistinguishable. Uh, wow, and so we're talking about authoritarianism. Yes, let's keep our eye on China. Oh let's no, let's also keep our eye our on far right leaders, on people who dabble in authoritarianism, far left authoritarianism too, far left authoritarianism as well. But um, yeah, I would I would just say that the 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 danger for those of us who care about justice, who care about social justice and economic mm. justice, about justice for for people of color, for minorities, and for everybody, it's imperative that we, as you say. Get it right in a way that comes at it with good faith mm. and with a big heart towards mm-hmm. people who didn't, who weren't, weren't quite on the bandwagon. Like there's a whole narrative around race that comes out of university, where if you're a bloke who's working on the farm in outback mm. Western Australia, you might actually not be racist at all in terms of not believing that there's anything wrong with mm. people of other races. You might be the most big-hearted person. Uh, I've ever met mm. you might take in indigenous kids yeah, yeah. and you might nonetheless talk about race in a way that sounds flagrantly racist mm. to someone who to a, a white lefty who's graduated from a cultural studies class, mm. and we have to have, I think, a little bit of um, of compassion. Well, now for, they're also into your other. thoughts
1: because now it can be unconscious, and you don't even have to think it or know it. That's someone right. else can Racial Know bias. what you think? Yes, that's right. Someone, someone else can, can interpret we're all your racist, thoughts. regardless of whether or not um, we're racist. You
0: know, and and, and yeah, you know, you're right. And, and my, so, just to p- finish that thought, yeah. my concern is that if we don't get that, if we don't if we don't speak about the importance of social justice and economic justice. In ways that land with Middle Australia and Middle America, mm. we're going to get. That's what fuels Trump. Mm-hmm. That's what fuels Orban. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the the white conservatives are going to come to a point where they say, "How come identity politics is okay for everybody else, but not for us?" Mm. Mm. And I think that's part of what we've been seeing. Not, in not realizing
1: years. that they probably had. Uh, the most powerful form of
0: identity politics yeah. all their lives, yeah. um, being, yeah. being white. But, but you're not going to harangue them into that. No, 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 uh, no, it,
1: no. You're not. And and ju- and just to take that point to finish up on too is that this is the challenge for us, I think, as well. And if I take the Uluru statement from the heart as a as a high point of Australian liberalism, which I believe it is, um, then the ability to turn that into action, the ability to prosecute a case that other people can get on board and support, is not by saying that people need to be hit over the head with their racism, they need to be re-educated. You're saying to a country that uh, believes and has every right to believe is virtuous, a virtuous democracy, you're saying to them that you are essentially morally reprehensible and that only through going through a process of moral re-education uh, and and atoning for your past, then you will support this initiative. Uh, you know that can't be the narrative. The narrative has to be: this is a, a liberal idea that that joins us to what has been the successful project of Australian liberalism, that that underpins what is already a robust and vigorous democracy and brings our voices to that democracy in a way that strengthens all of us, that a morally virtuous nation can, in fact, apply itself to the difficult task of rehabilitating its liberalism and atoning for its history. That narrative that marries the Uluru Statement's aspirations to a foundation of liberalism, I think is one that is absolutely necessary to be able to build the support to make that a reality. But a divisive narrative of identity politics that hits people over the head with this stuff—we know what the result's going to be. It's Trump, right? We know. We see what happens. That's that's the real politic of these things.
0: Let's hope that we can revisit this in five years yeah, and great. say it was all we, we got it right, right. and we're no, on no, the no. we're on the right path. Like five part. years might be too soon. Call it ten. Stan Grant, right. great to talk to you. Yeah, great, thank you.